and welcome to episode 54 of the Dayson Digest podcast. My name is Melissa Johnson, and I'm a professor of medicine at Duke University Medical Center and a liaison clinical pharmacist with Dayson. Today's episode is entitled Stewardship Secrets, Optimizing Carbapenem Use in Our Facilities. We will be discussing an article that was recently published in Jack Antimicrobial Resistance by Drew Wells and colleagues from five hospitals in Tennessee, describing an intervention program focused on carbapenems in their facilities. As a reminder, the link to the article will be posted in the show notes for your reference. So first, a few months ago, the CDC put out a special report describing the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on antimicrobial resistance and our antibiotic use. This included a 35% increase in carbapenem-resistant acinetobacter infections and a 78% increase in hospital-onset acinetobacter infections in 2020, as well as a 35% increase in hospital-onset carbapenem-resistant Enterobacter aliis infections. They also reported a 10% increase in ESBL infections overall and a 32% increase in hospital-onset multidrug-resistant infections due to Pseudomonas aeruginosa, in 2020 with a COVID pandemic. Within our Dayson facilities, we see fairly wide variation in carbapenem use, with some hospitals having use that is twice as high as the Dayson benchmark. Given the concerns about antimicrobial resistance and side effects with carbapenems, there may be some room for additional optimization of these agents in our facilities. The authors of this study that we will discuss today share that a medication use evaluation of carbapenems in their facilities in 2021 revealed that 67% of patients had received a carbapenem inappropriately. Most commonly, the inappropriate use involved empirical use of a carbapenem as initial therapy that was unsupported by culture data. This prompted them to develop a restriction program for carbapenems and focus on specific approved uses for these agents. For meropenem, use would be considered appropriate for patients with active ESBL infection or history of ESBL within the past three months, or those that were clinically worsening after 48 hours of piperacillin-tazobactam or cefepime therapy, or those with septic shock and a high suspicion of an ESBL infection, or those with intra-abdominal infections who had severe anaphylactic-type allergy to penicillin. For ertapenem, they considered a one-time dose appropriate if it was being given as preoperative antibiotic prophylaxis per their institutional protocols, or if it was given as a single dose prior to discharge in patients who would continue it as an outpatient. In this five-hospital system, the main academic medical center served as the intervention hospital and adopted this restriction criteria in February of 2022. They implemented a pre-authorization process by which the ordering provider, including infectious diseases physicians, had to select one of these pre-approved criteria when ordering meropenem or ertapenem in the electronic order entry system, and a pharmacist would review the information for accuracy prior to verifying the order. If a discrepancy was found, the pharmacist would call the provider and recommend appropriate alternative agents. If the provider still wanted to order carbapenem for a non-approved indication, the drug was dispensed and the order was made active until noon the next business day, at which time a pharmacy consult would be conducted to follow up with the provider again. An infectious diseases pharmacist and an ID physician were available for additional support and consultation in the event there was continued disagreement. 
Personnel at this intervention facility conducted staff education and competency-based pharmacist training prior to the program to ensure key groups were aware and ready to implement the program. The authors then did a pre-post analysis of carbapenem orders at the intervention hospital and the four non-intervention hospitals. They also secondarily assessed potential cost savings of this program for the intervention hospital and then did some estimates for cost savings for the system as a whole if the program was adopted at their other facilities on a limited basis. The pre-intervention period was February 8th of 2020 to April 30th of 2020, while the post-intervention period was February 8th of 2022 to April 30th of 2022. The analysis included patients at least 18 years of age that received at least 24 hours of meropenem or ertapenem. Patients were excluded if they were more than 90 years of age, were pregnant, or had received meropenem or ertapenem intraoperatively or for perioperative prophylaxis. So what did they find? In the intervention hospital, carbapenem orders declined significantly from 246 in the pre-implementation period to 61 in the post-implementation period. This was approximately a 75% reduction. In the four non-intervention hospitals, carbapenem use went from 333 in the 2020 period studied to 279 in the 2022 period, but this was not significant. In total, carbapenem orders declined from 579 in the pre-intervention period across all facilities to 340 in the post-intervention period in these facilities combined. The authors also presented monthly orders for meropenem in the intervention hospital and in the four non-intervention hospitals. They found monthly orders for meropenem decreased significantly by about 66% from the pre- to post-intervention period in the intervention hospital and by about 12% in the non-intervention hospitals. The median duration of meropenem orders decreased significantly at the intervention hospital as well from 5.8 days pre-intervention to 2.4 days post-intervention. Using this data, the authors calculated estimated cost savings. For the intervention hospital, the estimated cost savings exceeded $100,000. If the intervention was implemented at the other four hospitals on a limited basis given limited resources and they converted a majority of their ertapenem orders to meropenem, the authors estimated that they would save an additional $120,000. So in total, they estimated this would save more than $225,000 annually. Unfortunately, there are some limitations to this analysis that need to be considered. Firstly, the authors did not consider costs of alternative agents that these patients might have received outside of carbapenems, and those agents might have an impact on overall costs as well as antimicrobial resistance. They also did not systematically examine clinical outcomes of patients in either study period. So we don't know if there was an impact here on overall outcomes of these patients, either good or bad, as a result of this program. They also did not evaluate carbapenem resistance trends across their facilities. I know that some of our facilities have seen an increase in carbapenem resistance over the past couple of years, so I would be especially interested to see if this helps reduce that in the coming years in these facilities. Finally, programs like this take resources and expertise that are not readily available everywhere. So feasibility of implementing and maintaining a program like this has to be considered carefully for each facility. Nevertheless, this study serves as a good reminder that there are still possible benefits to these low-hanging fruit types of interventions. It's also possible, given the cost differences between meropenem and ertapenem, 
where meropenem is about $6 a day and ertapenem is about $36 a day, if they converted all ertapenem to meropenem in these facilities and conducted the program similarly across all facilities, they could have saved even more than the $225,000 annually that was projected. They also didn't have to allow ertapenem for the indication of surgical prophylaxis, as there are alternative agents available for this, and that might even have reduced use further than reported in the study. Generally, we might favor prospective audit and feedback type of stewardship interventions over restriction programs, but the criteria used in this study for restriction could also be considered by a stewardship program as the basis for developing prospective audit and feedback criteria for their facility. If you have a sense that carbapenems might have room for further optimization in your facility, I encourage you to discuss this with your DASON liaison and think creatively about how this could be improved. As the authors suggest here, there is no need to keep these strategies a secret, and we can work together to reduce unnecessary use of these broad-spectrum antibiotics. On behalf of all the DASON staff, I'd like to thank you for listening today. Just as a reminder, the paper mentioned will be posted on our website for the podcast, we hope you check it out and come back in two weeks for our next Dayson Digest.